Okay, first of all, I want to thank Tommy and Joe for allowing me to spend a few more minutes uh, today talking about the, the most important topic of grace. Now, we just saw earlier also um, Vinny, he was here in the first uh, uh, service, he accepted the uh, offer of grace too. Now, we also all know by his attire that uh, God is a Yankee fan. Well, besides that all seriousness, thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Joe, and, and your, your group for allowing me to speak today, because it's very important to me, deep in my heart. But what's the difference I'm going to do today that they couldn't do or they haven't done already, perfectly, really? Is I'm going to bring you up, and I'm going to cross the T's and dot the I's, okay? And I'm going to bring you to a level where it's more than just understanding. I'm sure they have to. But I'm going to bring you to a level where it's in your heart, in your body, in your mind, and in your soul. That's how important it is. Because I'm not a pastor. I'm not, I'm not someone that preaches every, every week. I mean, almost thank God, because that's difficult to see what the effort that you put into it. But I'm just here to tell you as a member of this church how important grace is. And I'll go over my testimony a little bit, not all of it. Little bullet points here and there. Uh, and, uh, and to start off... I started off just being me. I went to church around here. I went to St. Patrick's, or I went to St. Uh, uh, Gertrude's in Bayville. Um, I started out just being in that, getting towards in that gray area, and, lay, and they laid the foundation for me, which was a good foundation. But then when I went to Leicester, and, uh, you know, as a footnote, Chris's son went there many moons after I went, of course, it was called Becker at that time. It's now failed because of the pandemic. But I went to Leicester, and that poor guy at Leicester, I mean, I was just a 19-year-old, not usually a wise guy, but, you know, I was just sort of, he just sort of brought it on real heavy to me. And I was like, well, I'll stick to my Catholic background. I believe in Jesus and everything like that. But he went off discouraged, and I went off and had lunch, you know. But it's real important to listen. Two years later, this is the most important thing. When I met that group two years later at a school called New England College in Henniker, New Hampshire, outside of Concord, I met the group. It took me a few times because I was a little nervous about it. But I took that walk up that hill. It's, uh, New Hampshire's a mountainous hill, hills and valleys and you know mountains. And I just remember being a cool evening, and I walked and prayed and just told Jesus that I have to accept you. I want to accept you. I feel it. And I did. My hands came out of my pockets. I was walking like this. Hands came out of my pockets. And I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. From that point on, I figured that heaven went through New Hampshire. Tommy will probably tell you it goes through Kentucky. But the point is this. I finally walked the walk and talked the talk and heard that voice, welcome aboard. Now, this is accentuated in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And the headline, you know, accentuates it perfectly. Made alive in Christ. And the first third of this, the first four verses, are where we used to be or where you might be now in kind of a gray area, negative area. As for you, we were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live and follow the ways of this world and the ruler kingdom of the air and spirit who is now at work for those who are disobedient. That's what we were. We were disobedient. 
All of us lived among them in one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now here comes the good part. But because of his great love of us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, transgressions, it is by grace, there's that word, grace. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ seated with us in him in heavenly realms and Christ Jesus in order that the coming of ages he might show us incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved in faith and not from yourselves the gift of God, not by the works, but so that one cannot boast For we are God's handiwork created for Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance for us to do before the beginning of time. That's how important it was for him to give to us that gift of grace. This is a free gift. Let me give you an example. Tommy, if I were to give you a free gift of $1,000 and ask you not to pay it back, do whatever you want with it, would you take it? I hope you all would take it. And usually you give someone $100 or something, a gift to say, you know, they, they say right away, you know, well, how can I give it back to you? I can't. You don't have to. Grace is the same way. It's a free gift from God. It's an entrance to heaven. Don't ignore it. Look, these five weeks have been perfect. They've been beautiful. Joe, Tommy. Um, but arguably, and I'm going to say this, you may be surprised, arguably, they're the most important to listen to during the whole entire of the year, these five weeks, more than maybe even the Christmas story. Well, sure, I understand the Christmas story. Without Christmas, you wouldn't have Jesus. You wouldn't be born. It could be more important than the Easter story. The what? But without the Easter story, I understand you wouldn't have Christ dying on the cross and Christ, uh, resurrection. But then, you know, you wouldn't have the gift of grace, and you do. So you have 1A, the Christmas story, let's say, 1B, Easter, and 1C, grace. These five weeks are very important that we listen to them, and we did, and, and that you accept the free gift. You know, grace is a free gift. Please, I, I almost beg you, grab hold of it. Above that fact of, that we were taught these five weeks about knowledge, Put it in your heart, your body, your mind, and your soul. And if you feel you want to go deeper into your bloodstream. There's a pretty famous song that we've been singing over five weeks. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me or like us. I once was found, I was once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see. Thank you. Accept that free grace. Grace. Just a grace.
through the, the videos, through the songs, um, through uh, David's testimony and what he did up here on stage, uh, we could go home right now and, and be done. I don't even need to preach. I'm going to, but I don't need to. <laughs> because we've heard about this grace, and we've heard about it for, this will be our fifth week now. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is just because we're finished with this series today doesn't mean we're finished with this subject. Because it permeates, this thing of grace permeates every other thing we talk about. Every other series that we do is permeated with grace. If it's not, then we're preaching the wrong series. Because it all comes out of this grace that God has for us. <laughs> Today we're looking at the new math of grace because it just doesn't add up. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. And Peter thought he was going to impress Jesus. Because he says, how many times should we forgive somebody? And then he answers his own question. Um, maybe seven times? Now, the reason he said seven is because it was Jewish tradition to forgive somebody up to three times. Okay, that was considered generous. And we get that, right? I mean, have you ever heard the thing, if somebody does something to you once, shame on them. They do the same thing to you twice, shame on me. You've heard that, right? That's only twice right there. <laughs> and so the Jewish people were taking it a step further, and they were saying, you should forgive somebody three times. And I could just imagine Peter with that background thinking... <laughs> All right, I know, I know Jesus is extreme in some of these things. And in this forgiveness thing, I know he's, he is extreme and, and he's, he's over the top with this. And I'm, I'm going to impress him. So he says, do we need to forgive somebody seven times? You see what he did there? He, he doubled it. And then just for good measure, he added one <laughs> on there. But seven is also the number of completion. So maybe he had that in mind when he said seven as well. And he probably thought Jesus was going to go, Peter, you get it, man. I am so glad you said this because this is what everybody needs to understand. I can just imagine Peter just waiting for Jesus to praise this answer. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 77. And some translations say 70 times seven. Okay, which for you math people out there is what? 490, there you go. It's 490. Is it 77 or is it 490? And I'll tell you, we, sometimes in Bible studies we get in goofy discussions, don't we? Well, are we supposed to forgive somebody 77 times or is it supposed to be 490 times? That's not even close. One translates this way, one translates that way. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I think the point that Jesus is making is that we don't even count. We don't even count. Because let's be honest, if you are counting 77 times that you're forgiving somebody, you're probably not really forgiving them, are you? <laughs> it's like, man, I can't wait till I get to that 78th time. I'm really going to let them have it. <laughs> that, that loses the spirit of forgiveness and what it is all about. It's about not counting. It's interesting that, that probably Peter and Judas of the apostles were the most mathematical. 
They use these numbers. We're going to see a story a little later today where Judas gets in to numbers. And they're, and they're trying to add things up. And, it, and listen, when it comes to grace, if you're trying to do it mathematically, it's never going to make sense. Because grace blows the math out of the water. <laughs> and let's be honest, to some people, and we may at times be those some people, it just doesn't seem fair, does it? If somebody gets forgiveness, man, they haven't done near as much as I have. Why do they get forgiveness and I don't? But we see it throughout the New Testament. We have received this grace. And once we realize the grace that we've received, not because we've worked for it, not because, okay, I do one thing, two things, three things. I've got to forgive somebody 77 times or 490 times. I've got to go to church this many times a year. I've got to read my Bible this many times a week. I've got to do a good deed at least this many times a week. If we're doing that, we're missing the whole boat. Because it's not about counting. It's just about being gracious. <laughs> And pouring out the grace to others that God has poured on you. Philip Yancey in his book with the same title, What's So Amazing About Grace, throughout his book asked this question. He said, if grace is so amazing, why don't we show more of it? That's a pretty good question we should probably ask ourselves from time to time. And when you stop and think about the fact that Paul devoted his life to talking about this thing called grace. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. We should have this verse memorized by now. We've looked at it every week, I think, of this series. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. <laughs> the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That sweet amazing grace we want to look at a few stories here this morning that shows the math of grace how it just doesn't add up and if we try to get it to add up it's just not going to going to work for us first place and we've we've looked at this uh this story a few times recently but it's in luke chapter 15 and it is uh it's the story of the lost sheep <laughs> And Jesus tells this story about a shepherd that is watching over a hundred sheep, and he notices that one is gone. Now, first of all, that's pretty observant. I mean, a hundred sheep, that's a lot of sheep. And for him to notice that one, and, and sheep look a lot alike, right? It's not like they've all got distinct looks to them, and it's like, oh, yeah, there's this one and that. No, they, they look very, very similar. And the notice that one is gone is pretty amazing. But the next thing that he does is even more amazing. He leaves these 99 and he goes in search of the one. I don't know if you saw it or not or, or realize it when you did see it. When, when Vinny went down into the water, you saw that, that Yankees jersey that he had on, had the number 99 on the back. He told me while we were there. He says, you know, that's the reason I want to wear this because the shepherd left the 99 to find the one. To find the one. <laughs> Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. Why would he leave 99 that are here and safe, and he's got a good eye on them, and he leaves them, leaving them vulnerable? 
that they may wander off or that a wolf might come in and kill one of them. He leaves them vulnerable and he goes out just to search for this one. But that's grace. It's grace. You know, sometimes, let's be honest, in the church, we get to thinking that the church is all for us. <laughs> we, we get into these holy huddles. And we think it's all about us. Well, this is what I like, and this is what I like, and this is what I like, and this is what I like. What does it take to reach the one? What does it take for the 99 to go and reach the one? That's what we got to do. It's not about personal preferences. <laughs> it's about what we can do to reach that lost sheep that has wandered off. That is the, is the math of grace. <laughs> Another story. This one is in John chapter 12. And it's a story of a lady named Mary. It's not Mary, the, the um, mother of Jesus. It's another Mary. <laughs> Mary brings a pint of perfume made of pure nard. Now that sounds gross, doesn't it? Pure nard. But it's actually very expensive, a very luxurious perfume. And she takes it and she pours it out on Jesus' feet in response to them and, and in compassion to him and even in worship to him. And although she didn't realize it at the time, it was also in preparation for his burial that would be coming soon. But Judas got upset. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? We could have sold this and it cost a year's wages. A year, actually a little more than a year's wages. I mean, you stop and think about what the average year's wages is. That's what this pint of perfume cost. And she's just pouring it out. And Judas is going, this doesn't add up. We could sell this and help the poor. Why are you doing this? But he didn't understand the math of grace. Plus, he didn't necessarily have a pure heart in that request to begin with. Like a lot of people dealing with money, he was, had a tendency to pull out a little bit for himself from time to time. But Jesus talked about it being a beautiful thing that she had done. And it doesn't add up, does it? I mean, wouldn't just an ounce of this perfume fulfill the same purpose? But that's not what it was about. One of these days, I've got a whole message just on this story. I'll do that sometime. <laughs> but it's this math of grace. It just doesn't calculate unless you put grace in the equation. Another story. In Mark chapter 12, there's this, Jesus is sitting with his, with his um, followers <laughs> and people are bringing in offerings. And there's people bringing in just, very significant offerings. I mean, nice, large offerings. And they're laying it down. And all of a sudden, this lady walks in. And she's got two copper coins. About like our pennies. I don't know, with the economy the way it is, maybe it's more like nickels. I don't know. But she drops it in. And she leaves. And Jesus turns to his followers. And he doesn't say... Can you believe that? Only two pennies. You know what he says? She has given more than all of the rest. 
Mathematically, that doesn't add up. And listen, I've heard people in Bible studies on this passage go, well, percentage-wise, she did give more because that's all she had. And they had... It's not about percentages. I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching here. You know, just look, she gave a bigger percentage than they did. What he's saying is that she gave everything she had. She gave out of her heart. She gave out of her soul. She was giving of her very being. Other people were kind of giving the, the excess. It may have been a larger amount, but it was not a larger amount. Because Jesus said she gave more because she gave everything she had. It is the math of grace. It doesn't add up unless grace is a part of the equation. One more story, and we heard this uh, um, in the communion meditation. It comes from Matthew chapter 20. <laughs> and Jesus tells a story of this vineyard and the guy that owned this this vineyard and actually I think in the communion meditation we did chapter 18 of Matthew never mind scratch that <laughs> anyway we already covered that one but in Matthew 20 it went into this this talking about this vineyard that this guy owned and he hired guys early in the morning to come and work the vineyard and when he did he agreed to pay them a typical day's wages, which was a denarius. I'll give, I'll give you a typical day's wages if you come and work for me. They agreed. Let's do it. Around 9 o'clock, he hired some more to come in. Had an agreement with them. Around 12 o'clock, some more guys came in, and he hired them. <laughs> around 3, some more came. And around 5 o'clock, some more came. And at the end of the day, they all lined up to get their pay. And the first ones in line were the ones that came in last. They worked about an hour, and they came through, and the guy paid them a, a full day's wages. Well, the guys that were there from the beginning thought, man, if he gave them a full day's wages, what's he going to give us? I mean, they were excited. They were only expecting a full day's wages to begin with, but now it's like, wow, this, he's going to pay us time and a half. I don't know. This is going to be wonderful. But when he got to them, he paid them a typical day's wages, just like he had agreed, and they had agreed. And they were like, what are you doing? You paid them a day's wages. They were only here an hour. We've been here all day. And the guy said, this is what we agreed on. I'm not cheating you. I'm paying you exactly what we all agreed on that you would get paid. You were fine with it this morning. What is it to you? What I give to this other person. What does that matter to you? You see, it didn't add up. <laughs> and there's a little bit of us that thinks, you know, you're right. It doesn't add up. I mean, if that happened to me, I'd, I'd be a little miffed as well. But we're not looking at it from the stance of grace. He was gracious to those guys that came in in that last hour. He gave the, the ones from the beginning what he had, had agreed to. <laughs> he was just being gracious with these others. Why do we get upset when somebody else receives grace? I had a friend of mine in Bible college that 
stayed up all night working on a paper and turned it in before the deadline. And there was another guy in that class that wasn't able to turn his in before the deadline. He turned his in a, a few days later. And my friend who turned it in on time got upset. He's like, what is it? I, and, and there was no penalty to the one that came in late. And he says, why, why is it not penalized? I worked my rear end off to get it in on time, on the due date, when it was supposed to be done. And they did not. But yet they're getting the same grade as me. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. You're right. It doesn't add up unless you put grace into the equation. Realize that we have received so much grace from God, we have no reason to be angry when somebody else receives grace. None. It may not seem fair. But when you put grace into the equation, you cannot measure it mathematically because it will not make sense. It's this amazing grace <laughs> that God pours out on us. I love the way Philip Yancey put it. He said, grace is not about finishing last or first. It is about not counting. It's not who got the paper in early or got it in late. It's not about the people that worked one hour compared to the people that worked all day. It's not about any of that stuff. I remember a lady in my church that I grew up in that was... Um, one time in a Bible study, complaining about people that, that come to Jesus on their deathbed, or at least late in life. She goes, you know, I've been, I've been doing this Christianity thing since I was a teenager. It doesn't seem fair that they get the same reward that I do. It doesn't seem fair. And she's right, it's not fair if you're looking at it mathematically. <laughs> but if you're looking at it mathematically, we don't get the reward either. Whether you've been a, a, a follower of Jesus for an hour or you've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years, without grace, none of us are getting the reward. It's about this amazing grace that He is pouring out on us. <laughs> Karl Barth, who's considered by many one, to be one of the better theologians in the Christian faith, studied theology for years, studied the Bible for years, <laughs> wrote many books, taught in many universities. He's on the front of um, Time magazine at one point. Just an amazing teacher of theology. And toward the end of his life, he was a guest speaker at a, at a university one time, and one of the students asked him during the question-answer time, they said, of, of all your years of, of study of theology... <laughs> What is your greatest theological insight? And with very little hesitation, Karl Barth responded, the greatest theological insight that I have discovered in all of my years of study is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's as simple as that, guys. It's as simple as that. <laughs> this amazing grace that he pours out on us. He doesn't just take an ounce and, and dab it here and there. He doesn't, he doesn't look, look. Grace is not poured out on us because of our efforts or because of our energies or because of what we do. God doesn't look down on us and go, wow, this one's special. I'm going to pour a whole bunch of grace on this one. 
Well, this one, not so much. I'm going to give a little bitty dab of grace over here. <laughs> he pours it all on all of us. All we got to do is just accept it. Open ourselves up and accept this amazing grace. Listen, we told you from the beginning, we're not going to try to define grace in this series. It is much better understood in experience than it is in an academic definition. But if we were going to give it a definition, this might be pretty close. <laughs> grace. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing we do to make God love us less. Because he loves us through grace. His love for us is already perfect. Regardless of what we do. His love for us is this amazing grace poured out on us each and every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazing grace. God, I thank you for the five weeks that we've spent looking into this, digging into this, looking at illustrations of this, looking at biblical stories of this, looking at the examples of Jesus and the examples of Paul in displaying this. Dear Father, I pray that it has filled our hearts and our souls with this amazing grace, so much so that we just have to pour it out on other people. God, we thank you for this amazing grace and the life change that it brings to us when we accept it. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.